Welcome to another show of Food Chain presented by Perfy. Today's guest, we've got Sarah Gross in the house, a influencer marketing phenomenon. Sarah, welcome to the show. I think this is the first time I've been called a phenomenon, but I kind of like the ring to it. Yeah, it's got a good ring, right? <laughs> Thanks for having me on. I'm really pumped to jump in and uh, see what we talk about. Oh, yeah. Well, let's first start with tell me a, a little bit more about you and your background and how you got to where you are today. Yeah, sure. So I've been in marketing, let's say, for the past few years. It actually started when I was in college and there was a growth hacking agency on my radar. And I basically did whatever I needed to do to get their attention, which led me to getting blacklisted from the business school, which led me to drop out of school, which led me to like move across the country and dip my feet into the brand marketing world where I was actually doing B2B partnerships, which led me to do more like D2C influencer partnerships. So that's like a 10 feet view of the past, maybe like five years. But yeah, I've been, I've been having a lot of fun working with brands, doing influencer marketing and uh, seeing what, what I can break. Tell me more about dropping out. It was a Syracuse. Yeah. So I went to Syracuse and it was interesting because at the time it was the number two school in entrepreneurship in the country. And I was like, oh, this is cool. And like, I don't know. When, when you're in high school and you're like, I want to be an entrepreneur, it's just like such a sexy thing to say. Or like, at least for me, I'm like, oh, that's the job title I want. Mm-hmm. Like CEO. And I also thought that I was just going to like have my own business and be like a solo entrepreneur and like do everything myself. And so when I went to school, I was in the business school and I was also in the tech school. And like the business school, I I was really disappointed in because they were teaching me like at one point how to become an accountant and not how to hire an accountant. I'm like, I really don't need to know the nitty gritty, like, like a high level is great. But like at this point, I'm just wasting my time where I could be building a business on campus. And so I ended up like throwing up, I was planning and I was hoping to throw like a big event for entrepreneurs on campus. And so I ended up like scraping literally every single Syracuse University email address. Really <laughs> simple because I guess like the common theme is like everyone has the same like domain to their email. So if you find like crawlers or, you know, like little tech software things that you can like literally like say, hey, return to me every single email address with this ending, it will. And it returned 20,000 emails and there was like 22,000 students on campus. And so I just sent everyone an email blast to this. It was called Entrepalooza. It was supposed to be like a pitch event and like Lollapalooza for entrepreneurs on campus. It was crazy. I had like GoPuff sponsoring and like a lot of like uh, local brand sponsoring. And I like didn't tell the business school because I was like, okay, this is fully self-funded or like I fundraised for it. I did everything according to the books. Like I rented a room and da, 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 da. I'm like, the business school just doesn't need to know. So I had everything planned out. I sent everyone a really funny email basically saying that like, by the way, I might've been drunk and lost my keys on this like strip of like the street. And then if you like read into the email, it was actually a flyer to the event. So I basically had like 20,000 people open up my email and like ready to go to my event. And the business school hated it. They were taken back and they ended up basically blacklisting me. So they, I was 
president of the entrepreneurship club at the time, they took that away from me. It made, they made it really difficult to get into any like classes or get in touch with the right people. And so that's, and actually I started calling them out on LinkedIn of all places and it got a ton of attention. Like I had different online journals write about me. And so at that point I'm like, okay, it's time to drop out. And um, actually there was a company that the growth hacking agency that I mentioned before, they actually saw my LinkedIn posts and that's why they actually hired me. They told me, Hey, like you have a place if you drop out of school and move across the country. And I'm like, okay, that's a better option than what I'm doing now. Let's do it. That was my goal for the entire time. So that's my short story of dropping out of college and moving to LA. I had a lot of fun doing it. It was so much fun. <laughs> I knew the story had to have been epic and I just didn't know about the email. And that email makes me so fucking happy. Do you have a screenshot of that email that you sent? Do you still have that? Oh, I probably do somewhere. Actually, I think it's on, like, if you go on my LinkedIn and it says like my school, you know how it has like a school spot, like where you went to university. I know I said that it was like 2015 to dropout. Like, I don't know. I, I like, I play with it. So I have a, I think I have a screenshot <laughs> somewhere, but yeah. And then also it was like, as soon as I moved to it, cause I'm from Boston and like, for me, Boston is really a hub for businesses, but growing up in like in the area, it just felt like a lot more like old school, like old businesses, generational wealth. So when I moved to LA and I, I would start like telling people my story, they're like, oh my God, can I actually hire you to scrape this? Like, can you scrape emails from me? And that's like what I was doing at this growth hacking agency is like scraping emails. I'm like, how much of a perfect fit could this be? That's incredible. Do you ever scrape emails for the events that you throw these days? No, luckily these days I have like people actually wanting to go to my events. <laughs> um, so the tables have turned there, but it's a really good skill to know because you can just get in touch with people. <laughs> I feel like you should have got bonus points for what you did. Right? What? Extra credit. Yeah, that, that should have been its own course on how to scrap, like in a scrappy way, invite tons of people and get that click-through rate on your email because I would have opened the hell out of that email. Oh, hell yeah. It was literally like, I remember the subject was lost keys on Marshall street. And I remember specifically, like, this is when I just got into email marketing and like, what's cool about email marketing. It, it goes all different ways. So like for B2B, it's great for B2C. It's great. Like consumer emails. And then also like what I'm doing now is influencer marketing. It's literally the same thing, but yeah, it's, it's such a transferable skill. And I remember just like looking at the open rates within an hour and it was like 90%. I'm like, holy shit, not only was like the email delivering, but like people were freaking out. And the other like lesson that I learned too, is you really got to filter your list because the reason why I got in so much trouble is because I blasted to literally every single person, including like the deans of all the universities and the program managers. And they're like, who is this person? And actually one extra layer that I didn't even mention is I used an alias account. So it wasn't even like Sarah emailing <laughs> everyone. It was like, Cause I didn't want, like, I knew it was like, it wasn't right, but it wasn't wrong. And I didn't want my, like them to take away my purse, like my university email. So I just like literally made a fake Google account email. and just blasted it. Oh my God. Do you remember what the email was? The account? It was like Thomas Edison or like, I don't know, something stupid like that. I'm like, it doesn't matter who's sending it. I just needed to get the message in front of people. That's great. I wish you would have said, I, I forgot my light bulb on whatever street. Yeah. Right. <laughs> So since, since we're going down this path, you have a lot of incredible experience, but I feel like everyone has that one odd job that they've done. And, and before you answer, I'll tell you mine. One of my first jobs was a furniture company in my hometown. 
And I worked there for maybe a couple weeks until the guy asked me to grab a chainsaw and like cut an arm off of a tree. And I was like, dude, so you're telling me I've got to climb the ladder, hold on with one arm and chainsaw, like a 20 pound chainsaw, the arm off this tree. I was like, what happens if I cut my arm off? Like, oh, you know, so I'll pay you $20 an hour instead of seven. I was like, I'm out. Deal. (laughs) Never, Never showed up again. Hell no. I think they're out of business now, but I would, it was just the last thing on my mind every time I was in the market for furniture. I remembered their name. It was top of mind, but I knew that I would never buy from them. So that's my odd job. Do you ever have anything like that when you were coming up? Oh yeah. So when I was in high school, I've always really, I've had like a strong work ethic. And so I was a waitress at, I lived in a really um, like coastal town. So it was, it was like very common for high schoolers to be waitresses at these like local yacht clubs. Mm -hmm. Um, So I was a waitress and it was so funny. So I was only there for like, maybe it was seasonal too. So it was only open during the summer months. So I worked there for a summer. It was fine. It's, you know, like a waitressing job to at a, like a really nice place. But the next summer, the supervisor was got fired. And I don't know why, but they're like, Sarah, you're it. You're going to be the supervisor. And like, let me remind you, I was like in high school, I was 16, like running a, like a restaurant. I'm like, what is going on right now? Is there anyone else like more qualified than me to do this? Because like I'm 16. <laughs> that's probably like the craziest job I've, I've had. I actually worked in the service industry after college for a bit. I, 2007 is when I graduated. It was a nightmare to try to find a job. And after working at a couple of just weird jobs that I hated, I just got into the service industry and did that for quite a while before I started marketing at Quest in 2013. But hey, we all have to do it at some point. It's so important. I think that just like the generally, like when I get into business with someone and just, I don't know, I feel like it's more common than not having like a background or some sort of experience in the service industry, but it like also adds perspective as either like a business owner, like I'm a consultant right now. And at some point, like you're going to be working with other people and like the work that you do impacts other people's experiences. And so like, it's just such a raw form of customer service, which I think it's more power to you if you have it. 100%. I think it helps with with, uh, customer support. I think it helps with experience and efficiency too. I always talk to people on my team at the agency about like bartending or full hands in, full hands out. There's like economy of motion that you have to find no matter what you do, whether it's typing faster or whatever it is at work, just so like you're more efficient with your time. I always talk about that. And then regarding customer support, there's a book that we had to read when I was in the nightlife industry called Setting the Table. And it was Mm. a real good one for anybody out there that's in CX. You got to check it out. Even though it's meant for the service industry, I think it has multiple applications. Awesome. Yeah, I'll definitely have to check it out. Setting the table. So what's going on today in your life? What, like, who are you working with? What are you doing? What excites you? What's the state of influencer right now? Oh man, just jumping into the meat of it. Mm -hmm. Um, (laughs) So I'll start with like your last question first. What's the state of influencer marketing? And it's a really cool time to be doing influencer marketing. And there's a lot of like different components that like why all come together and like make me believe this is true. The biggest thing is like what's going on in marketing general, especially as like CPG brands, like general, like tracking is kind of like simplified. So if you're running Facebook ads, if you're like, that's most prevalent, then also like you can now hide your email when you sign up for email lists. Basically what I'm saying is the market is getting dumbed down to where influencer marketing has always been. And so Because of that, I think a lot more brands are interested in exploring influencer marketing. And I also think that the idea of influencer marketing 
and how it's valuable just beyond people tagging your brand is getting more and more interesting. And like more and more people are kind of like stretching how influencer marketing can impact their business. For example, creating ads from UGC content, for example, leveraging influencers to drive reviews or creating more engaging email marketing campaigns, or even in the CRO conversion rate of your website, leveraging different benefits of influencer marketing in these different pockets. That's where I see the future. And I think that it's just going, it's going to be like a mainstream marketing channel because in the past, it's been more exploratory. And I also think there's more channels to help brands diversify. Like TikTok, I think a lot of brands are getting really going deep into YouTube and it's not just Instagram or Pinterest these days. So that's where I think the future is. And what I've been doing with brands is, is really creating a process for their influencer marketing. So it's kind of like funny because I think that a lot of brands, when I say like, what do you use for email marketing? They're like, oh, Clavio. I'm like, okay, that makes so much sense. But when I say like, oh, what are you using for influencer marketing? There's very few players in the space. But what's also interesting is there's so many gaps in what like in like what brands are trying to accomplish. And so that means that they're using multiple tools to understand not only get their product seated, pay their influencers, but then it's also like un- like digesting the analytics, understanding the impact. Cause it, it's there's no like really, really, really truly one cohesive tool. And so what I've been doing with brands is saying like, okay, here are all your tools here are tools that I would recommend that like make your process more efficient. And then I also like kind of connect the dots and say like, okay, well, let's just make sure that this reporting is consistent every single week. And like your content, wherever you're saving content gets passed over to your creative team. And then it also gets forwarded to your Facebook team. So it all works in a system. And that's what I've been really focusing on is like creating a cohesive system for brands that have their own unique set of tools and KPIs. Love it. I've got a couple of questions for you. The first one is on the, the first question that you answered, like the state of influencer marketing and the future of it. There's got to be clients and obviously don't name any names or you've had to have experienced it. I mean, at least I have, but there's a lot of value that's in influencer marketing. You mentioned the UGC content. You can whitelist that on ads, reviews, email, CRO, all of this stuff is valuable. But to most, or to a lot of founders, at least that I've experienced, the only thing that makes that worth the cost of seeding, the cost of paying them, whatever it may be, is sales from a damn coupon code. I was hoping you weren't going to say that. How do you you get around that? (laughs) Yeah. So, I mean, it's tough, but also you got to, usually what I say to like founders or marketers is like, okay. Would you buy a product if like your own, even if, like, would you literally buy your own product if you saw this piece of content that like an influencer has shared? Yes or no? Like, be honest. <laughs> and like, especially if it's a product that's really expensive, it's not going to be an easy purchasing decision. You're going to have to see the, the piece of content multiple times, probably from multiple touch points. And so influencer marketing is great top of funnel. And then also, if you want it to be revenue driving, you just have to create long-term partnerships with influencers. Like sometimes they don't even need to be true technical influencers with like thousands of followers. They can be brand advocates that just like really align with your product and your target demo and just have them post different things, have them focus on different value props and have them post frequently. So maybe like the fourth, the fifth, the sixth time that a consumer sees a piece of content mentioning your brand. 
that's when they're triggered to purchase. But it's also really interesting too, is like, you have to think of like the different platforms on Instagram. That's like my, I would recommend kind of like hitting on different points and nurturing your audience. Just knowing that like a similar group, AKA like the 10% of the, whoever's following the influencer is going to see your content. So you're guaranteed like the same people are going to see your content. If you're doing influencer marketing on TikTok, you have a lot more ways to get creative because it's a better discovery platform. I would say more people who are not following you see your content once instead of like seeing your content frequently every single time you post how it's like on Instagram. So that's just like one way to think of influencer marketing is it's not a true acquisition play. It is long-term, but short-term, you, you got to build the trust and the, also the relationships with the influencers. The second thing that I also tell brands is like, hey, using discount codes, you're against the world. There might be like, one thing is just like remembering the discount code. If the discount code is like crazy long, people are just not going to type it out. If there's a similar or the same offer, when you go to the website and like an email pop-up comes up and there's an offer, it's way easier just to give my email than it is to like remember a code and type it out. Then you have the issue of like, okay, they're like, what if you use links and they're on their phone seeing content, but they purchase on their computer? There's no attribution there. So the best way to guarantee that you're tracking holistically is to do a post-purchase survey. So that means there's no difference or change in the consumer's purchase behavior. If they're going to purchase from you, they're going to purchase, but the experience after changes. And you can do this one of three ways, actually. The first way is on screen, like on the same website that they purchased. There's a lot of integrations with like Shopify and WooCommerce where it's just native and it asks one optional question, how did you discover us? And have an influencer recommendation. You can even get a little bit more narrow and say like an influencer on Instagram, an influencer on TikTok, if you're doing multiple channels. And you can assume that like whatever percentage of people are giving you the response, like an influencer has, I discovered this product from an influencer. You can say like holistically, okay, like 20% of the respondents say they found my product through an influencer recommendation. Generally, like then 20% of your sales can be attributed back to influencer marketing. That's like one way. You can also send like a post-purchase survey in an email. Same idea, one quick question. And then the third way is actually to run ads to your customer base and like see if they've discovered you from an influencer or just like ask for general feedback. But those would be like the most important thing that I would say for brands if they really want sales, like that's the best way to track is post-purchase surveys. That's extremely helpful. I've got a couple of questions. One's going to be more philosophical. So put on the seatbelt. Oh, my seatbelt is on. (laughs) Can you describe the difference or if it's the same between UGC creators and influencer marketing? Ooh, this is a good one. Okay. So I think it's interesting because I I think like it's like uh, pickles and cucumbers. Like every pickle is a cucumber, but not every cucumber is a pickle. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? Or yeah. am I just, am I, just I, I, I think I'm picking up what you're laying down there. <laughs> so I think everyone can be a UGC creator. And I like, this is very loose. Like literally anyone can pick up a, a camera or like their phone at this point and take a picture or like take a video and create content for a brand to repurpose. I'm not saying that's good, but it's doable. I think where kind of like the added bonus is that influencers have some sort of following. 
and some sort of like impressive engagement, but also like most influencers are not real influencers. There's so many people that like maybe five years ago bought their followers and like, you know, like right now it looks real and like their engagement is up, but like they have like this weird kind of bump in following and there's engagement pods and, and there's like all these things that like maybe not every influencer is an actual influencer. So yeah. And then there's also influencers that actually suck at taking content too. I've dealt with everyone, <laughs> but yeah, I think, um, UGC is user generated content is, is the future for like decentralized commerce. And it also is becoming way more popular knowing that it's like, people just want to buy things friends or like buy things from people that look like their friends instead of actors. It's the future. I have a hot take. Oh God, let's hear it. So we all know, I got to stop assuming. Do you know how NFTs are really big for a second and they crash for a bit and people are freaking out? Yeah, I've heard about it. (laughs) All right. So I feel like that same boom is happening with UGC creators. And here's why. I probably feel 10 to 20 DMs a day across all social about UGC creators trying to land clients. But for me, I think that if everyone can do it, there at some point is going to be a level of not necessarily fraud, but inauthenticity to the customer. And I think it's what's happening right now is before there used to be these actors on Toyota commercials and it said at the bottom, these actors were paid to say this shit. And I think that seeing the same people across dozens or 20 brands is going to lose authenticity to the customer eventually. Yeah, not every customer is as in-depth as we are when we're looking at marketing and UGC and all of this stuff. But I feel that I've seen so many of the same people across different brands where it makes me wonder, do they really like this brand or is this money in the bank? Mm. Yeah, I mean, definitely. Like, I agree with you. And also, like, as people understand, like, as right now, it's, like, pretty upfront for brands to, like, know this is a tactic. But um, I think it's starting to, like, shift where consumers are starting to, like, notice It's also like really funny when I get like my friends like sending me screenshots of like ads that I'm in. Like, wait, is this you? I'm like, yeah. So I think like people's bullshit raters are going up. And I think that's also why like TikTok is so, has been like booming is like TikTok is a place where like no bullshit. And if you have kind of like scripted, but also somewhat organic looking ads on TikTok, they just, they sink. And also like, I think it's also interesting, like, when you do an Instagram story ad, there's just no element of comments. So I'm, I'm always like curious, like what are actually, like what are people actually thinking mm-hmm. when they see this? Do they like skip through? Do they watch the, the like view more? I don't, I don't know, but I think you're right. And there's also like people in the space that are like, have like really concrete thoughts about this. Like there's a guy, JT Barnett and he, his whole company is finding content creators that like create this UGC, but pair them with brands so that they have a face of their company. So it's not like they're sourcing, like going through and like testing all these demos. Like they've got one person that's really good and they're going to stick with it. Yeah, no, I I like it. I just wonder like if there's only so many people that are going to pass that filter and what happens when one person is the face of four companies. And I, I guess you can ask that. I probably can answer that question myself. I think that Chris Paul is the face of Allstate or whatever it is. And there's a few other like Allstate commercials where you see them, but they're also like part of other brands. Maybe that's where it is. It's just at a a different scale these days. Um, Oh, wait, there's actually, I'm not sure if you know, it's called, um, I'm pretty sure it was like for the quality edit. It's like a blog and they also do a lot of ads and they have UGC. 
And there is this like one actor that they have, or maybe she's just like in their talent roster. And I think I saw it like a thread on like Reddit and people were like, who is this girl? And why does she have all like my products? And it was really funny. Cause like she would always have like the best hooks and she would, she's a really interesting woman. And she said the right things, but I, like people were catching on that. Like, it's like, Oh, she's selling me a blanket. And Oh, she's now she's selling me pans. And then she's selling me like, sunscreen I'm like wait a second this is all the same person I don't know but yeah, yeah I, I think like Twitter is going to take a fun backseat on this one yeah I think UDC is kind of becoming oh, this might be a, a catch line kind of like QVC uh-huh. UDC is becoming QVC either way I, I'm looking for that person for for Perfy as well and kudos to those that are where it's working out for them during this economic climate but either way let's let's shift gears away from UGC but more into a question that I've always had so with Instagram, you can now hide likes. And sometimes you can't tell if somebody has purchased followers because they've hidden their likes. Typically back in the day, you can do like a calculation and see what their engagement rate is. Now likes are getting hidden. And there's tools where you can look into, like look under the hood, but they're very, very expensive to see how many of their followers are real or engaged. What are your watch outs for brands that are looking to work with influencers, but the likes might be hidden and they don't know if there's any sort of purchase followers or fraud going on? Ooh, that's a good question. The number one place that I look is comments. So people, I make assumptions about people who buy followers or like falsify their engagement. And so I assume that like, if they're buying followers, they probably have to keep up their engagement rate, right? Because if you buy a million followers and you keep the same engagement rate as like if you had a thousand, it's going to be like, it's going to be out of whack. So Comments are another indicator that their engagement might be falsified. And so things that I look at are if there's just a ton of emojis, like people are just shooting off like the fire emoji, like a million, like in a million threads, I'm like, okay, this picture wasn't that good. It doesn't deserve that many fires. Or if comments just are not related to the content or they're overly positive, it's an indicator. And then also like, honestly, you can just like pull up the like, whoever is following that influencer. And if you just like do a quick scroll through, or even if like the people that liked it and like you do a a quick scroll through and it's like their usernames look a little fishy. It's like, you only need to go through like one or two posts and you know that this is a fake account. And then also like you can ask the influencer like, Hey, can you send me your analytics? I look at um, location to make sure that most of their followers are in the US. And then also like, if you want to go and I mean, that's only if you're working with a US-based influencer, but also like if they're in the US, but they're in like a different city, most of their followers, that just doesn't make any sense. That's like another indicator. But honestly, like sometimes I think like not always like the reach or engagement is the important part. Like I've worked with brands that work with influencers specifically for the content. And so it doesn't matter if like the content is posted or not, they still get a win. Yep. I hear you. Okay. Well, that's all super helpful. Some ways I didn't really think of in there. What do you think about pricing? What I've seen in the market is that somebody, like it just really depends on the person. Someone might say 5,000. If they have 100,000 followers, there might be someone with 10,000 followers that says 5,000. How do you get a grasp of what to pay different influencers or UGC creators or both? Mm. So the first thing that I would say is like, as a brand, you got to know your KPIs. And usually KPIs, key performance indicators, I usually bracket that into three different categories. There's like sales and revenue, there's awareness, and then there's also content. And so 
if I just want, if I like the purpose of me working with an influencer is content, I would say, honestly, you probably don't even need a budget. You can find super, super small creators that are up and coming and just like see if they can exchange product. But then if I, my main KPI is sales, then I would structure deals, maybe paying like 50% up front and then having the rest of the partnership be in like commission. So there's like no like universal answer, but I think is like influencers right now, they know that brands like influencer marketing is on the rise and they're like, shit, well, now I need to get paid. <laughs> so there's definitely a trend with influencers, especially on TikTok, wanting more and more money. But the thing is that they don't know why, like there's no formula for their like price range. It's just, they say it because they know that a brand will like desperate enough will say yes. So like for my advice for brands is like one, get your KPIs like locked in. And like, also like for awareness, you can do things like if you're doing an awareness campaign. So that means that you want to focus on impressions, create your own standard CPM. And so you can calculate that yourself. You can say that like on average, this creator gets X amount of impressions. So if they're asking for X amount of dollars, this would be your CPM rate. Like, does that align with what your target is? Yes or no. And if it doesn't, you also have like a solid point to like negotiate down to. That works for awareness and impressions. You can kind of do that with like uh, revenue too, is like, okay, it's not like ROAS, return on ad spend. It's like return on influencer spend. Like what's your goal return? And then kind of like work backwards from there. I love that return on influencer spend. Never heard of that one. I swear we're innovating every second these days. Oh yeah. That's a good one. Yeah. This is all helpful. I can't wait to chop this episode up and write the show notes. It's so, so impactful how you think about influencer. One other like little thing that I've been really thinking about and like, I really want to kind of coin because I haven't heard about it before, but like I'm calling it like an influencer network score, INS influencer network score. And it's basically like how many, you know, like influencers, like, I think like the most important people, especially if you want revenue is to partner with the accounts that influencers are following. Like they're the influence to the influencers. And so they, I have them like mentally ranked higher than just like random people that are followed by like Joe Schmoes or like maybe random accounts. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And I, I think that's the, like the future of influencer marketing is like the influencer network score. I hope you are advising your influencer uh, program on this influencer network score. That sounds amazing. That's right. That's how I came up with it. I'm like, okay, this just makes sense. I don't know. Oh yeah. Like um, if 10 influencers are following me, that's pretty cool. But if 20 influencers are following me and I don't know, I have like a few thousand followers. That's really cool. Like yeah. it means a difference in your business. If like the person with 20 influential people following versus 10. Yeah, that's huge. Uh, the only time I've had access to something like that, that was automated and not manual where you have to scroll through followers. I had to pay a significant chunk of change to have access to it. I've never paid for it again, but it was a year long contract and that it was awesome, but $30,000 worth for a year. No, wow, not, not really, not so much. And then I got two questions left. You mentioned earlier, what do you use for email? And most people say Clavio. And then when you ask, what do you use for influencer? They often stare at you with big eyes and not knowing what you're talking about. Is that program that you're, that answer you're looking for, is that Grin? So yes, most people that I've worked with and like in my ecosystem are using Grin for influencer discovery. They're for communicating with influencers, for like reporting, and then also like tracking everything too. 
but there's like little, like little tools in there. Like usually it's like, they want more advanced report, like brands want more advanced reporting than what's available, or they want to like connect it with their other marketing channels or like even influencer discovery is not a perfect process. So kind of like doing like using other databases and tools and like kind of merging it into Grin. It's like a whole thing. But yes, a lot of people use Grin. A lot of brands use um, like Aspire IQ, which it's very similar. It's just like a different user face. Got it. And then the last question is, what's one thing that people should do or should not do today in influencer marketing? Oh, there's like literally everything. Okay. So one thing that you should do is just like try new channels. I think a lot of brands are scared to diversify, especially if one platform doesn't work. Like if if Instagram doesn't work for me, nothing else will work, which is just not true. So that's like one thing. And then another thing that's like a really quick little tidbit that you kind of mentioned is like scrolling through followers. Like the best and easiest way to find influencers to partner with you is like build a list of competitor brands, build a list of complementary brands, and build a list of super influencer celebrities or aspirational accounts and literally scroll through who they're following. And it's all going to be people within your niche. Like, for example, if I was a, a workout, like if I was pre-workout, I would go to Barry's Bootcamp, uh, their Instagram, and I would scroll through every single person who they're following because it's going to be their trainers. And it's going to be other trainers that they've worked with. It's going to be perfect for my brand. It's so easy and it's public data. And that's my very passionate answer about your question. I love it. Is there a, like you mentioned, look at different channels. If I were to spend more than I'd want to on a, a certain type of influencer or influencer on a certain channel, this is probably weird, but it would 100% be Pinterest. There are certain Pinterest creators out there where like their content is so polished and it's made in the right format and it looks so native to Pinterest. This is a selfish question. Where do you find Pinterest influencers? Oh God. So <laughs> well, <I'm> not- <laughs> What I have done in the past is re-engage with my other, like my current roster of influencers and say, hey, do you have a Pinterest board? Do you mind pinning your like past content to your Pinterest board? So this works actually like two prong. So for you as a brand, you get more like mentions on Pinterest. I like to be fully transparent. I'm not as much of an expert on Pinterest as I am on like TikTok, Instagram, and YouTube. But I do know that it helps when influencers pin their Instagram or TikTok content onto their boards, they actually can aggregate more views or more impressions on their original content since there's, I'm pretty sure there's like an integration or, um, so it works two ways. So it's really actually beneficial if like an influencer that's main audience is on Instagram also reposts it on Pinterest. Your question, like finding like pin, like the right people on Pinterest. So what I've seen also is like, there's not a ton of great Pinterest databases. And so what I've been, usually what I do, and it's the same with like TikTok is see like, there's a bunch of databases where you can search by keyword, like keyword in their bio, search if they have Pinterest in their bio, and then kind of like go and do a a manual search of that. If you don't have access to a database, I would look in Instagram and search for the hashtag, hashtag Pinterest. And I'm sure it'll give you a bunch of people that like kind of did the opposite of what I'm saying is like used Instagram as their secondary network and have their main platform as Pinterest and just kind of like move their content over for like the platform diversification. But you should be able to find 
Pinterest influencers on other channels that are a little bit more built out and more searchable. Incredible. What an cool. answer. Hell yeah. <laughs> It's very long-winded, but we got there. We got it. Well, Sarah, you're awesome. Thank you for joining. And I appreciate you. Before we go, though, where can everyone find you? Yeah, I mean, the best place is LinkedIn. I love it there. Feel free to shoot me a message, shoot me a connection request, and I'd love to connect with all the people who are listening. Amazing. We'll link to that in the show notes. And thank you for joining us. This was awesome. Thanks, guys. All right, take care. 